This morning I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Thank you, Justin, for a reading scripture. It's always good to have a part or young Christians in our congregation who are willing to step up and read scripture and do uh, several things. And again, we are happy to be here. We are blessed beyond measure to be able to be in uh, the kingdom of God, to come and to worship him and to study his word. And we are blessed to have a wonderful uh, preacher, uh, Corey. He, he has done a great job uh, delivering uh, God's message to us uh, every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out. Uh, and being a minister is not something that's easy. It's something that requires a lot of courage and a lot of uh, study and a lot of time and effort. I remember growing up in Haiti when I was younger, some people will be asking, what do preachers do? They, that's all they do. They just get up there on Sunday morning, give a lesson, and that's it. But, uh, and I used to believe it uh, until I started doing some preaching work, and I see that that's not what it is. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, uh, and there's a lot more behind the scenes. So we are grateful for Corey for what he has done and what he's continued to do for our uh, congregation to continue to study God's word and be able to talk to us. And we're grateful to have our elders who dedicate to the word of God and who are doing their best to lead the congregation closer to God and to make decisions. It's not uh, a, always easy to lead a group of people because all of us have different opinion, different uh, ideas and things, but the elders have to work through that and making decisions and to lead the congregation in the way that please God, but in a way to help all of us to get closer. So we are grateful to have them here. We are blessed beyond measure. And also we are grateful to have our deacons uh, who take the roles of working a lot behind the scene to, with things that we don't even think about to make it possible to worship here. And they do that days in and out. It's not something they are getting paid to do, but they do it for the love of God and also for all of us to be able to worship and to have a good place here that maintain, that keep up, and to have planning different things uh, uh, to all the years. And we are also grateful to have our young people here in the front row this morning, and we love our, their love and their dedication to be part of this congregation, to 
come to the classes, to come to worship, and to have the desire to, to serve God and to obey him. And we know we live in a world that's not uh, easy, that have a lot of discouragement, that have maybe they may have friends and people who might discourage them, but they keep on going forward. And we're proud of them for who they are and for how they choose to serve God. And uh, we pray that you continue to keep them in your prayers as they grow in their love for God and, and their faith in him. And as they look forward for, for their future, for things they will do in the kingdom of God. And we are grateful for all of you individually who are here, uh, who are part of this congregation, uh, and, and who will do everything to each other to love and to support, to cherish each other the way that we can. Whenever one among you is suffering or have something that's going on, all of you stepped up and do what you can to help and to support, to pray, to encourage, and we are blessed beyond measure to have all of you. So we mentioned a lot of you here, but it takes all of you individually to make this happen, to be the congregation, to be the people of God. So let's keep moving forward and do the work of God and keep loving him and keep sharing his love and the community around us. Corey's been talking for a few weeks now about success and failure, success and failure. And all of us are... We know what that means about success and failure because uh, in our life, whether it be successful or we fail. And, and everything that you do, you look at it like you're going to be successful or you're going to fail. And even if you fail at something, you don't just stay there, but you keep trying to get better at it. For us young people, you go to school to be successful, you need to have keep up with your grade, to study, to do the work so you have a decent grade at the end, so you can get to the end and get uh, to graduate high school. I, we have several of you who graduate high school this uh, in June. Uh, so we are proud of you for the work you've done, and those of you who are doing it, don't get discouraged. You're striving for success. But success and failure is part uh, of uh, life. But this morning, we're going to talk about how success and failure, it's your choice. Success or failure, it's your choice. We have to choose to be successful. Uh, if you're looking at it in a worldly way, if you're someone who get up and who stay in your bed, you don't try to study, you don't try to do, go to work and do the things that can help you to be uh, independent, to have the things that you need to live with, then you might consider yourself a failure because uh, you're not doing the things to get you uh, successful, to help you to be better, to uh, take care of yourself. But spiritually, you can be successful uh, or you can be a failure uh, as well. And all of that depends on choices that we make. We make a ton of choices every single day. Uh, from the minute we wake up in the morning and to the moment we pause our day 
or maybe we go back to our bed and rest for the night. We make thousands of choices. In fact, this morning you already made so many of them to wake up, uh, to get ready to come here, uh, because you could have chosen to stay home, but you made several choices to get here this morning on time. And you're going to make many throughout the days. And those choices that you make pile up at the end of the day. If you were to measure, you will say, did I have a successful day or did I have a failure day, a day I didn't do well? Uh, if you were to uh, look at it that way. But if two choices are comparatively similar, it will not be matter which choices you make, if they are similar, if there is no difference between them. But usually the choice that we make, they're not similar. They're often miles apart. And you have to choose which one uh, to, to take and which way to go and what direction uh, that we will head at the end of the day. Uh, if, but if the contrast of the two choices is mile apart, choosing which one will pose a huge challenge for us, especially when one option seems far more lucrative than the other. If someone will provide more with more money than the other, often we might lean more to the one that's more lucrative. But challengingly enough, more often than not, the more lucrative choice will cost a lot in life. Sometimes that choice pushes us to bargain our integrity or our reputation. We have to be wise enough to know what are the choices that we're making so we don't bargain our integrity and our reputation. This morning, we're going to see uh, a few things here. First Kings 16, 21 to 28. First Kings 16, 21 to 28. Success or failure, it's your choice. And in life, life is a matter of choice. There, there is a king named Omri. And those verses there, First Kings 16, uh, 21 to 28. And by many in his day, and by many parameters used to measure success, Omri was uh, mostly successful. He was a successful king, and he was king over the northern kingdom of Israel. And he took the country from a time of political turmoil and to a long time of peace and stability. And his family formed the longest-lasting dynasty in Israel. And they hold that throne for many generations. And if you were to go to archaeology or an ancient inscription, we know that Omri conquered the land of Moab. And one of the main enemies of Israel. And he dominated them for many years. So Omni was, in the world view, he was a successful king. And not only that, he also know uh, that he succeeded 
and controlling the trade from Assyria and many other powers who were constantly trying to conquer Israel. Omni was able to prevail against them and was able to lead, and they were not able to conquer Israel. And indeed, he even managed to take control of some of Assyrian territory. He was respected so much that some of the Assyrians named Israel Land of Omri for many years. So they named Israel after him because he was a successful king. So in addition, he built Samaria, a, a brand new capital. And, and he bought Samaria and he, brand the cap, he built the capital in a safer location than it was previously was. So surely, if you have a king who've done that much, who was successful that much, who conquered a civil land, and uh, who was able to keep Israel from being uh, conquered by other nations, so you consider that uh, as a successful king. But surely the book of Kings, the divine uh, inspired history of God's people of Judah, will be praising or will praise such a wonderful king. But this is not what we saw in that case in the book of King. In fact, Omri only have six verses in that whole book. They only talk about it in six verses only. Uh, and it's a hard thing to see that king who is that successful where they don't talk that much about him. So how could the history of other nations have such a positive view of him while his own nation history has such a negative view about him? In fact, they even referred to him saying that uh, he was the worst, he was one of the worst king they had. How could that be? He did that's so much for Israel. Well, I believe that this is for a simple reason, very simple reason. God write the book of kings, and he write it through humans. And therefore, the parameters that is used to measure success are those of God, not those of human. Because if they were human, omni. Omri was a very successful God, a king. But because they were not humans' parameters, they were God, then he wasn't a successful king. So it seemed that great material or political success is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing. It could be that the way that God measures success is different from the way human measure success. Let's look for a reason why he regarded uh, as such a failure by God. And then we will be able to, uh, to see what God used to measure his success or failure. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. 1 Kings 16, 
25 to 26. So, if you were to read those verses, they, they will give us a clue why is that. Uh, we are told that Omri brought evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and by doing this, he did worse than the king that had come before him. And we also are told that he did this by doing the same thing as King Jeroboam. And this leaves us with the question, what, what Jeroboam uh, did that was similar as King Omri? So now that's when again it will take us to 1 King 12, 26 to 31. 1 King 12, 26 to 31. So Jeroboam was the, king, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel after the kingdom split from the southern kingdom. Almost his first act as king, he built an altar. Uh, he built two altars, uh, one on the north of this country and one on the south of the country. And he uh, built some golden calf. And in disobedience of the clear command of God, he ordered the people to worship idol, to worship this golden calf. So he was clearly disobeying God there. So he set the people up. He set up priests who were not called by God, but who were called by him. And he will grant them favors. So because of that, he... Uh, did bad in the eyes of God. He wasn't successful. So there, this verse in 1 Kings 16, 25, 26, it says that Omri did like King Jeroboam. And because of that, he wasn't successful. So this was to be the new way of worship and his kingdom. So he set up his whole religious system that will benefit him uh, and so that he was worried the people doesn't go to Jerusalem, so they will keep him as the king. He was afraid if they go, then they might remove him or go follow another king. So he feared that if they did this, they will try to make the king of Judah king of Jerusalem. So he worshiped God in the way he chose, not the way God had chosen. He organized everything for selfish reason. He worshiped other gods who had been invented by men and the image of men, rather than the sovereign Lord who created men and his image. He saw religion as a means of getting what he wanted, a way of making his name famous, increasing his wealth, and glorifying him himself and not praising God. So because of that, he wasn't successful. And because Omri did the same thing as Jeroboam, Omri wasn't successful either. So he placed his trust in himself and his power and in his wisdom and not in God. So we are told for this reason, he was rejected by God. Thus, despite all of his power, 
all of his wealth and all of his reign, he was a failure. So now, what about a successful king? Let's read Second King chapter uh, 22 to 23. We won't read it, but you can look over it. Second King 22 and 23. So there, we read about King Josiah. So Josiah, he was king over the southern kingdom of Judah. And during his reign, uh, the country was weak. And in fact, soon after his death, Judah was conquered by Babylon. So that shows how weak the country was under his reign. So he wasn't powerful or he wasn't able to control the uh, enemies like Omri was. So uh, surrounding a nation did not fear him. Other nations did not fear him as they did Omri. Israel was no longer a significant power. And his wealth was small. But the judgment of scripture and his reign was one of praise. That he was a success. He was judged a success because throughout his reign, he put God first. He worshiped God in the way that God had chosen. He worshiped to bring glory to God, not to benefit himself. He did not rely on his goodness, power, or cleverness, but instead on the grace, power, and wisdom of God. So during his reign, the law of God was rediscovered. And on hearing it, and discovering how far off he and his nation were, he tore his robe, and immediately he started making the necessary change, not only in his own life, but also in the life of the nation. His whole realm was characterized by obedience to the word of God, to the commands of God. So in the eyes of God, Josiah, uh, Josiah was successful, but in the eyes of the people, he wasn't because Israel was weak and other nations did not fear him like they did Omri. So there you have example of two kings, one who was a success in the eyes of the world, but a failure in the eyes of God. And the order of failure in the eyes of the world, but a success in the eyes of God. So, according to, to the world, none of us in this congregation are particularly successful. Because none of us are famously rich. None of us will feature on, on a list of the most influential people in the United States. None of us will be in the page of a journal to say the 10 most rich person in the United States. And in fact, if we spend our lives seeking our own glory and not the glory of God, we run around chasing our own ambition and doing what pleases ourselves and not seeking and obeying the will of God, then 
no matter what we achieve in a worldly sense, in the eyes of God, our life will become one of a big failure. So if we want our life to be a success, our first thought must be God. Our ambition must be his ambition. We must have a burning desire to live for him, to be obedient to him, to live our lives not for our own glory, but for his glory. Our worship of him must be in line with his word, not what makes us happy or seem to give us the greatest benefit. Like Josiah, when we sin, we must immediately repent in sorrow at the offense we have caused to God. We must not rely on our own cleverness, goodness, but the grace of God. This will not necessarily bring us worldly success, but it, it won't bring us material wealth, famous, or make us a celebrity when we do that, but it will bring us success in the eyes of God. And that's all that matters if we are a success in the eyes of God. So the world around us encourages and praises selfish ambition. The way of Christ seems crazy to them, and so will we. We will all look crazy to the world when we strive to be successful in the eyes of God. But the question is, what matters more to us? Success in the eyes of God or success in the eyes of men? We have an example here in Hebrews 11:23 to 29. We read Hebrews 11:23 to 26 this morning. We have Moses as an example. And Moses is one of the name of people labeled as great faith mentioned in the book of Hebrew. His greatness was not an easy deal. He was not attained by luck. It was his faith which was evident by the choices he made in his life. Only after he made those major, major choices that had major, major experiences with the Almighty, the burning bush and the wilderness, the gushing mineral water out of a rock and the desert, the tablet of God's law that he was privileged to hold. He would not have been able to be privileged to be able to do all of those things if he did not make those major, major choices that he made earlier in his life. And the tablets of stone were chiseled out from a rock by God, and written of God's law was inscribed by the fingers of God. That was an awesome experience there for Moses. But the choices that Moses made in his life, which propelled his name to become one of the faith greats, 
are common to all Christians' believers today. Are you ready to face the choices and the challenges of your life that will determine your spiritual rank before your Creator, before your God? I would like to draw our attention to the most common challenge that we face in life on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we are faced to, to choose godly stance or worldly measure. We read in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be called as the son of Pharaoh's daughters. Today, people race to climb the ladder of success with motivation to reach the summit of self-advancement uh, and self-gratification so that people can applaud, and for, uh, applaud them for their accomplishment. But the only thing that matters most in the end is how much God has impacted our life. And the evidence will be clear by the choices that we make. Moses was challenged with choices, too. He was educated in the school of Pharaoh. He was trained in the affair of royalty. He had the chance to become the next Pharaoh. But the Lord anguish of the Hebrews was compelling. He chose to be with them instead. Like Moses, we face similar situation and are challenged with choices that we have to make. Are we going to choose to be with God's people or are we going to be to choose to be with the worldly people? And the decision is ours to make. It is us individually who have to make that choice personally. Here's another thing we have to choose. Godly suffering or worldly pleasures? Godly suffering or ple uh, worldly pleasure? Hebrews 11.25, it says, He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. So the world has a culture for comfort and conveniences. That culture has even crept inside the church sometimes. When church finances is growing, facilities are improving, attendance is increasing, we tend to conclude that the church is growing. But that is not always true. The same is true in our personal life. Just because we are increasing and wealth and power on many other things doesn't mean we are being success successful. We may be in the eyes of God and the eyes of the world, but what about the eyes of God? Are we successful? So Moses, a son, a son of an Hebrew slave who had his royal privileges, had a choice. 
he chose the hard way, yet he knew it was God's way. He chose the hard way, but he knew that was God will want him to do. He chose to be ill-treated with God's people rather than enjoy the privileges, the riches of being in the Pharaoh's kingdom. Verse 26 in uh, Hebrews 21, it says, He regarded this grace for the sake of Christ as of great value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. We live in an era where the prime motivation of life and effort is to gain, although at times we lose. Everyone wants a fat paycheck, a robust bank account, a steady income, and all the likes. Who, who doesn't want them? We all do. But when we are challenged to let go a big fraction of what we possess for godly cause, we often call, uh, think twice about it. But Moses did not. Moses lived in luxury. He had the royal right to enjoy the best riches of Egypt. But he knew he is a son of a Hebrew slave. He was, it was a tough decision to make, yet he chose to follow the way of sacrifice. One simple truth today, being successful in a worldly matter does not mean you are successful in spiritual matters. Because the parameters God's going to use are not going to be the, par- the parameters that the world uses. Many people have the mistaken notion that the more material things they possess, the more they have security and peace. But again, that's not always true. Sometimes, riches can be a fuse that ignites disaster in someone's life. Riches can be good. It can be useful sometimes. But again, sometimes it can bring disaster in someone's life. If they don't manage it good, well... And if they are not letting God control it and use it for his glory. So besides, personal riches last only as long as physical life lasts. Material riches are for this material world only. We cannot bring them in the afterlife. When we die, we leave this world, our riches are going to remain here. And when Christ comes back to take us some, we cannot take them with us. They're going to remain here. So that's why it matters that we are successful in the eyes of God and not in the eyes of the world. As the wisest man that ever lived, uh, he says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Ecclesiastes 12, 
eight. Anything we can possess in this world, they can be useful. We can use them for God's glory to advance his kingdom. But all of those things are vanity. They're passing away. They cannot give us happiness, and they cannot get us to heaven to be with God. So to conclude this morning, Moses gave up. He gave up riches. He gave up pleasures. And all of those things that Moses gave up, a lot of us are chasing, chasing after them today. But you know that Moses also gave up drowning in the Red Sea when he gave up all of those things. Why do I say that? If Moses decided, I'm just going to stay with Pharaoh, and I'm just going to help him lead, all, and hoping I'm, he's going to be the next Pharaoh, God would have delivered his people anyway from slavery. If it wasn't Moses, he was going to find someone else to use. And if Moses decided to stay with Pharaoh and enjoy those riches, he would have been among those Egyptians in the Red Sea when God delivered his people. So when Moses chose to give up riches, he also chose a uh, gave up drowning in the Red Sea because he wasn't among those who died on the Red Sea. So today, what are your decisions? What are your choices? Are your choices leading you closer to God or are your choices leading you closer to the world? When God comes to judge the world, will he deem you a success or will he deem you a failure? Because remember, being successful in the eyes of the world does not make you successful in the eyes of God. Listen to this. Your happiness is determined by your character. Your character is determined by your choices. Your choices are determined by your values. Your values are determined by your attitude, and your attitude are determined by your faith in God. If you want to be deemed a success in the eyes of God, well, make those choices as close as you can to align with God's word. If we can help you in any way this morning, as we have, we're going to have our invitation song, well, you are free to come forward. God loves you so much, and he's willing to forgive you. He's willing to take you back if you were off the way. And if you haven't given him your life, you haven't repented, you haven't confessed his name, you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sin, you can do that this morning. The doors are always open.
He's always willing to take you and to forgive you of your sin. That's why he sent us, sent us Jesus Christ. But know that the door won't be open always. The day is coming when Christ is going to come back. And the day is coming when you're going to leave this world. Are you ready to face his judgment? How is he going to call you? Will he deem you a success or will he deem you a failure? 